Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. My name is Vikram. I'm with Jack, and we are Soccer Car Keys. Uh, Jack, we have a number of things to run through today, so why don't you get us started? Absolutely. So today we will be discussing match week one of the European Championship. We will also be covering a few of the hot button transfer issues with players and managers that have come up recently before wrapping it up by talking about the AFC Champions League and Tampanese Rovers' excursion into continental competition. That's right. And I guess to start things off, right, uh, wow, what uh, eventful first week at the Euros, you know. And I guess first things first... For right and wrong reasons. (laughs) That's true, for right and wrong reasons. But first things first, I mean, I think uh, both of us can uh, say that, you know, we're thankful that Christian Eriksen is alive and well because that really shocked, you know, the entire footballing world. Yeah, uh, Vikram was the one who initially texted me. I wasn't watching the game live, but Vikram texted me saying, you know, Christian Eriksen just collapsed on the pitch. And I'm like, what in God's name are you talking about? Why are you sending this random lie to me in the middle of the day? And then I went on to Twitter and yeah, it, it yeah. Yeah, I mean, shocking, you know, I w- distressing, but thank goodness was. Christian is safe and Christian is healthy and in the care of very good medical professionals. You know, it's 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 a funny story because like, um, you know, I messaged you out of the blue, but I was actually asleep, and then my dad came into the room and he was like, "Vikram, get up, get up!" Christian Eriksen just collapsed I, I, because he was watching the match. He was like, he collapsed with his eyes open. And usually, you know, when a player collapses, you know, you think, okay, he's got a heat stroke or something like that. All right, you know. But when he said he collapsed with his eyes open, I was like, oh my god, I hope he's okay. I hope he's okay. So I had to get out of bed and watch it. Um, but yeah, like you said, man, I hope uh, he's good. Apparently, he's supposed to be wearing like a heart tracking device or something like that, right? Yeah, um, I didn't see any of the details around that. Uh, no, some, something I read somewhere, but. You know, uh, I, 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 po- I hope he's better because clearly Denmark need him around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just hope he's going to be able to play football again. Yeah, let alone play for Denmark again. But I guess sort of from the Leon perspective, even though this is a little bit before my time of a football fan, it gave me sort of the flash mm. to Mark Vigunfoa, who actually oh. midfielder, who Frank died on the pitch one. at the Stade Jolon playing for Cameroon in the African Cup Nation or not the African Cup Nation it's the Confederations Cup so it's obviously it's really scary Um, heart conditions like this I have no idea if it was a heart problem with Ericsson or not but these are things that can be present even in top tier professional athletes and these are things that can go undetected for most people's lives yeah and sometimes they don't figure out until it's too late I mean you're right there apparently it was a cardiac arrest so uh that's really scary, man. You know, you think like a professional athlete would be, you know, fit and whatnot. So, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, if it could happen to Ericsson, it could happen to any one of us. You know, men's only, what, 28, 29? So, like, ugh. It, I mean, really if, we wanted, scary, if we wanted to stay on this topic, uh, I do have a bone to pick in regards yeah, to uh, this game. So, obviously, there's a lot of controversy around the game being continued on the same day. Uh, yes. First, it came out that um, this was the decision of the Danish players. They got a chance to talk to Ericsson in the hospital. He urged them to go out and fight, things like that. And 
fair enough. You know, if the players want to go out, the players want to go out. It's then been alleged by Peter Schmeichel, obviously Danish legend, father to Casper Schmeichel, Jesper, yeah. that um, the choice presented to the Danish players from UEFA was either play the game the same day or suffer a 3-0 forfeit defeat, which in a knockout competition when you're only playing three group stage games, that's basically dooming you to not move on. So regardless of whether you know UEFA forced their hand or not, that's not necessarily what I'm going to talk about because we all know UEFA are scumbags. Like the, this is broken news <laughs> at this point. The thing that really irked me, especially when I was watching the game back, was the coverage from the media of what happened with Ericsson. And specifically how the cameras not only did not look away from Ericsson after it happened, but tried their hardest to zoom in tried their hardest to get the best possible shot of someone literally fighting for their life on the pitch. Yeah. Right. Tried their their absolute damnedest to get the best possible picture of Christian Eriksen's partner crying in the arms of Casper Schmeichel. And that's just absolutely baffling to me that that is the decision a production team can make simply because they want the clicks, they want the headlines and they don't have a value and an understanding of not only the human lives that are involved in this, but the fact that people just don't want to see someone literally dying on the pitch. Like, yeah, you were right obviously very distressed as a viewer. I was distressed rewatching it, and I knew he yeah. was okay when I rewatched it. And this is just not something that people want to see, and I have no earthly idea why they did that. It's just absolutely baffling to me. And quite frankly, I hope the production, the, um, production lead on that game who made those decisions live in time to try and get the best possible shots that I hope that was the last game that he leads the production for and it goes on to like people on Twitter were very critical of ESPN and the BBC for you know continuing to show these images zooming in yada 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 but as Gary I think Gary Lineker was the most prominent to point that out but mm. it's the images the the actual images of the game that the BBC, the ESPN, that all these companies who cover the European Championships get, all are given to those companies. Those aren't their productions or their camera crew or anything like that. That's an international feed that is given to those companies. So fair enough, you can't really criticize them for the actual production of that game, but it still begs the question why these why these organizations didn't just cut the feed off and go to a studio like clearly they they didn't want to watch it they knew their viewers didn't want to watch it why don't you just cut off the feed go to a studio and just fill time sit there in silence it doesn't matter just don't show that it's so wildly disrespectful to not only everyone involved on the pitch but to your viewer that you think that we are low enough that that is what we want to see. Yeah, I know. It's you, just, you, it just insane. irritates me to know it. I mean, like, watching watching the clip, I mean, I watched the match live, and I was watching the scenes live, and, you know, you can see the, the medical team, you know, performing CPR uh, pretty clearly, you know? And, you know, me and my dad were remarking, oh my god, they're performing CPR, what the hell is happening? You know, end of the day, it, it wasn't... I mean, it was really, really intense, and um, you know, the first thing going through our minds was, "Oh shit, he's dead," because that's <laughs> essentially what they were showing, and you know, it's yeah, it's and and to your point, you know, like you see, uh, uh, you know, the Danish captain uh, uh, running, uh, you know, walking over to 
to to uh, Ericsson's wife, and then Ericsson's wife starts bawling her eyes out. And you're like, oh god, does that mean he's dead? You know, it's really distressing. Like, it's like, yeah, uh, like it really is. And I don't understand why they had to continue showing that to the point where the Danish team had to form a wall around Ericsson just to stop. The yeah, exactly. From looking at him. Exactly. It's insane. And I mean, the thing is, okay. right? Like, okay, maybe I I really don't think uh, this was their intention. But like, you know, maybe they just wanted to let people know, you know, he's fine or something like that. But they could have done it in so many they different ways. They could have done it in such yeah. a better way. They could have. Exactly. They didn't even have to show that. They could have just given updates to the studio team and said, "This is what's happening to Ericsson. The Danish exactly. FA put out really timely updates about what's, what was happening with Ericsson. I mean, exactly. we even got the. I guess there was like the Getty Images picture that showed Ericsson on the stretcher with his eyes open. And that was like the very first update we got. And, no, and there's just the, no need to continuously show someone literally. I mean, I think he was legally dead for a little while on the pitch. He might there's have no been. Reason no. To sh- I think yeah. he was like legally dead. Like his heart had stopped and there's no reason to show that. There just yeah, Exactly. No, there isn't any. There's no excuse for that. And like, I don't know, man. It's... It's quite a. I guess they need to to work on this. They really do, and there needs to be proper protocols whenever this happens. Because this isn't the first time it's happened before. I mean, remember uh, Fabrice Mwamba when he was playing for Bolton Wanderers, right? Yeah. It, it it happened to him as well, and they called off the match. Uh, I mean, I, it was quite uh, honestly quite ridiculous that you know. I don't know whether or not UEFA, you know, truly gave that ultimatum to the Danish players. Um, I would trust Peter Schmeichel only because Casper probably told him stuff. <laughs> you know, so um, I think Peter's also though. involved with, or he's close with people who are making decisions with the Danish FA. So he probably ah. knows. He probably people on knows. The I mean, in in any case, right? Like, uh, it's it's such a there needs to be proper protocols to uh, to, to to. This isn't going to be the first. Uh, this isn't going to be the last time, rather, that this happens. You know, this this that's a sad fact. You know, stuff like this happens, and there has to be proper procedures to ensure that you know there's some sort of uh, modicum of respect given to you know those affected by it. You know, close family members, other players. You know, it's it's not helping anyone's case by by showing the footage. But absolutely, I, I guess. I guess, I guess when, know, it, when it comes to procedures, we can at least give credit not only to the medical staff who were timely oh, for precise sure. yeah. who saved Christian Eriksen's life on the pitch, but to Anthony Taylor, I believe he was the referee who stopped the match immediately, to Simon Kerr, the Danish captain who began performing CPR on Eriksen the moment that it happens. Yeah. I mean, if these images had to be shown, at least it showed all of these players, all 22 players on the pitch. In, a very good light, but especially Simon Kerr and Casper Schmeichel, we're reminded once again that they're both phenomenal human beings and phenomenal people outside of just being phenomenal footballers. That's true. So and if there is a good side to this, it is that. Yo, it brings up a good point actually. Maybe, you know, all footballers need to be CPR trained. Or maybe all uh, officials need to be CPR trained because, you know, like sort of first line of defense kind of thing. Yeah. And whoever's closest That's to the person affected. True. Yeah, you know, it, it, it raises an important question. Um, well, I guess, um, sorry to start off on a morbid topic, but... Uh, <laughs> it, it was something, you know, it, was, it was the top of the line after match week one. It was something that had to be said, but obviously sure. we're both very happy that Christian's healthy, that Christian is in. Um, I call him Christian like I know him that Christian Erickson is healthy that he is in the care of trained medical uh, professionals that's right and that's right 
that what happens during the game on Saturday was only a scare and it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah, you're right. I mean, end of the day, like the it's it's like you said, uh, we're relieved. Uh, but speaking of you know that game, um, no one expected Finland to win. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> Finland um, have Finland have given a good report of themselves at this tournament. I mean, right? they um, I think they're it's... like B team, beat a France B team in a friendly before this tournament. So Finland aren't bad. Obviously, Team Puki is going to be very familiar to a lot of Premier League fans, given his time at North City and Championship fans. To be fair, given his mass heroics for North City in the championship but right the, obviously Denmark is a significantly better team I mean you can yeah. question the mental state that the Danish players were in after that game whether they yeah. were actually properly fit and mentally there to play a game but I mean obviously we're recording this a little bit into match day two but Finland they lost to Russia in their match day two game but they played fairly well they, played they have really a chance well, I think. of going yeah. through I hope they do. I, I, I mean, if, you know when they scored like that in in the third or second minute against Russia, right? Um, I can't recall who's the fellow who scored the goal. He plays for Union Berlin. I can't pronounce his name either. Um, Finland didn't score against Russia. No, they scored at first and a goal got disallowed. Um, oh, that was a goal, goal and disallowed. I completely forgot. Yeah, I yeah, forgot. So, <laughs> and, I, you know, of course, my dad has become a new Finland fan, I suppose, because he was rooting for them the entire match. And then I was like, whoa, what? I mean, and they were playing really good football. I mean, I don't think Russia deserved to win, but, you know, it is what it is, you know. At the end of the day, they won the match. What a goal from Alexei Moranchuk, to be fair. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, yeah, to be honest, what a goal. Um, but let's, let's hope and see that, that, you know, Finland are probably the true dark horses of the tournament, actually. You know? I, I, I'd give a nod to Ukraine. I think they've given a good measurement of themselves as well but I guess that's a, t- that's a talking point a lot of the dark horses coming into this tournament have not played well yeah I mean yeah. Turkey have played two games and they've just looked <laughs> hilariously abysmal how, both of them how is this Switzerland how looked is fairly this average against Wales um uh, that's true I mean last 10 minutes I mean uh, you know yeah <laughs> uh, no, Poland was, lost was, to Slovakia yeah that was a bit of uh, like you know, double take there, like, what? No, <laughs> how? You know, like, Robert Lewandowski, my man. What's up, bro? You know, uh, <laughs> he didn't even score the goal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you'd expect someone who's coming off such a hot streak, uh, you know, with Bayern Munich, you know, to, to, to continue that on the international stage. But, and especially against a team like Slovakia, no disrespect to Slovakia. Especially against a team that's starting a 33 year old Marikamczyk. Again, no disrespect oh, yeah. to Marikamczyk. Um, yeah, unbelievable like, player in his prime. Past his prime. He's past his prime. He's 33. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, that being said, though, um, very, very, uh, I guess, interesting turn of events for a couple of teams as well. Wales, you know, beating Switzerland. That was... Draw. I did not expect that. Draw. Did you Switzerland? Yeah, it was 1-1. And who did he beat to the game that Switzerland largely dominated, they beat um, Turkey. Oh, right, that's right, they beat Turkey. See, and that's the thing that I was going to say earlier. How, how is this the Turkey team that took four points away from France during qualifying? I, I ask myself that question every day. How? To be fair, like, there was a lot more intensity 
in the Turkey teams that played in qualifying versus the Turkey teams that have been in this tournament. They pressed a lot more aggressively. They played a much higher line. They didn't necessarily just sit back and absorb pressure and, and try like, to like. Why did you try to use them? I don't know. <laughs> I think I think you can have a broader conversation about how the Euro structure lends itself to smaller teams playing a much more defensive style, trying to scrape out draws to be one of those third place teams that goes through. And maybe that's where Turkey went with it, but it's just not mm. working. It no, didn't work against game. Italy, it didn't work against Wales, and now Turkey are going out of the Euros after just yeah. an absolutely abysmal showing. And I mean, quite 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 honestly here, um, um, I don't know, man. I I, I thought Ilmas will, will have, uh, you know, this would be his tournament, you know, like he would be, he was pretty good for what, Monaco last season. Sorry, uh, was it Monaco? No, was I'm, it? I'm not. I'm not letting you forget who Burak Ilmas plays for you. You're doing a podcast with someone who watches Liga religiously. Okay, I'm not I, letting I'm, you forget I'm, who Burak Yilmaz plays for. He plays for all right, all right. He won the league title. He, he maybe should have won league on player of the year. But he he was good. He was very good. They had Yusuf Yuziti, who was also very good on that little team. They had Hakanchalanoglu, who was very good for Milan this season. Milan, yeah. All three of them have been terrible. I what I feel to understand is, um, like, what happened. <laughs> I think that's the million dollar question here, right? Like, well, what happened? Oh, why did they change their tactics? What's up with, <laughs> you know, the I entire think, I think there's going to be a, a very detailed post-mortem with you this Turkey so? team after uh, they go out yes. with the potential of still making the World Cup. They can still make the World Cup next year, but they need to figure out what went wrong and quickly because things just went awfully wrong. I mean... So much promise. The team had so much promise. Did they have and a shot against Italy? I have no they had idea. Three shots. None of them oh, were on wow. target. That's insane, man. No, okay. Well, kudos to Italy, though. You know, they they've been phenomenal in defense. Phenomenal. Italy look good. Going forward, yeah, they look Italy really look good. Really good. You know, look- we talked about them going into the tournament. Uh, you know, it's not as potential favorites. You know, we don't know how they might fare. I mean, I think I think I said that they were potential favorites. <laughs> I don't oh, remember I mean, exactly didn't... what I said about them, but <laughs> I mean, you didn't rank them as the, your tier one favorites. Yeah, I did. I swear did down, you? I did. <laughs> no, you're not, not putting words in my mouth. I put I put Italy in my tier one. There were four teams in my tier one: France, um, Portugal, Portugal, Italy, England. and England. No, no, you you said you said. Uh, North Macedonia, bro. Okay, yeah, yeah, you did say. <laughs> Goran Pandev, the god. Yo, Goran Pandev, yo, okay, I did not realize this, but Goran Pandev and Andrei Shevchenko actually shared a uh, pitch a couple of times when they were playing. And it just yeah. says a lot, you know? <laughs> I mean, before um, before Ukraine's game against the Netherlands, Andrei Shevchenko scored um, Ukraine's last goal in the European Championship. Damn. Before I can't remember who scored their um, first goal against the Netherlands, did but back to Italy because we gotta talk about Italy because they we might be the favorites to win this thing. You know, you talk uh, after I mean, you after two mention... games again. They played they played two games. Most teams haven't, but they they just look really good. <laughs> they do every area of the pitch. 
And they I do. remember texting you before their game against Turkey, worried about this partnership they have between Chiellini and Benucci in defense because they have like a combined age of like 67 or something. And I thought, no, this is completely too immobile to work in a European Championship, especially against a team as aggressive as Turkey, or at least as aggressive as I thought Turkey were. They didn't look at each though. Even against Switzerland, they were both fantastic. Yeah, I mean, they look old as hell, but it's Benucci's ability. It's Benucci's ability to play out the back. His passing range as a center back, even now, is still phenomenal. And it's Keelan's yeah. just absolute hard-headed, no-nonsense defending. And it just yeah. works. And then combining that with Jorginho, who's done a very good job in defensive midfield, and Locatelli, who yeah. tracks back and does very well in defensive midfield, who scored an absolute banger against Switzerland, by the way. What a player. Yo, I mean, all, all, all credit to his defensive ability, but the boy can finish. <laughs> Man can finish. Like, and his ability to find him himself space is just in uh, you know like important positions like damn 23 years old I don't know why he's still playing for Sassuolo though uh, know, he won't be next year I, I <laughs> mean sure. he better not you know like if I'm if I'm there, uh, you know, because... there are a lot of teams who are recording his signature he will not be playing for Sassuolo next year you know I was telling my dad about him um, and how you wrote about him and you know your article and then he was like why can't Mikel Atat, you know, why can't Arsenal buy, like, uh, players like him? Because, you know, my dad's an Arsenal fan. He was like, Arsenal suck. Hey, <laughs> too. You know, you know, he was he was telling me, like, Arsenal won't buy people like this, you know? They'll buy some joker like Gullion and David Lewis and a piece of fans or some nonsense like that. And I'm like, oh my god, you're right. <laughs> That's spot on. <laughs> yeah, very true. But yeah, um, Italy, phenomenal in defense, phenomenal in midfield. Lorenzo and Senior looks as talented as any attacking player in the tournament so far. He combines really well with Spinatola on the left. Uh, Chiromobile actually scored for Italy, which is a rarity for anyone who actually watches Italy <laughs> to actually see Chiromobile score. They just... Yeah, I, I think someone he, made the comparison that they look like a club team. That they look like a team that works within a very rehearsed system where everyone knows the job. And it's a very well, flowing system. That's a huge Whereas problem. with most international teams, it can be fairly defensive, fairly simple, simply because the managers don't have as much time to work with their players. But this is a team True. that feels like it knows each other very well. Well, I mean, that's uh, that's partly due to Roberto Mancini's ability to gel the play as well. I mean, he is a good manager, and I say that with a lot of uh, spite because he is a coach Manchester City. Yeah, um, like we haven't we haven't been showing Roberto Mancini nearly enough love in the last few years, considering oh, I guess the way that he left Manchester City. But yeah, like he he was he was never a bad manager, and he's showing yeah, he was never a bad he's still a very good manager. I mean, if, the reason why I hate him a lot is because he was a good manager. You know, I don't I don't hate Mark Hughes. Just saying. <laughs> Mark Hughes, didn't Mark Hughes also play for Man United? He did as well. I guess that was a very bad comparison. <laughs> okay, I don't hate Sven Goran Eriksson. How about that, alright? <laughs> uh, you're in the minority there. Alright, moving on. We gotta talk about the other contenders. Belgium uh, beat Russia 3-0. Very comprehensive in their first game. They beat Denmark yeah. 2-1 today, which is even more impressive than their first yeah. game, simply coming from 1-0 down against Denmark. Yeah. Bolson um, scored first in the second minute, and then, you know, like... It wasn't until... Uh, what? Second half, and they scored a winner. 34th minute, you know, Togan uh, Hazard... Uh, equalize, right? Something like that. Yeah, it was a phenomenal goal too. Kev- what a player. Kevin De Bruyne, what a player. 
Kevin De specifically. Obviously, I don't think he played against Russia. I don't think he had to play against Russia. But yeah, his performance against Denmark was phenomenal. He was nothing short of outstanding. I mean, it's I mean, a reminder that even if his face is half broken, like he's still one of the best players <laughs> in the world. <laughs> I forgot about it. Didn't he fracture like his eye socket? His orbital, orbital fracture. Oh wow. It, it comes to show you that even with the question marks around their defense, which I still have question marks about their defense, because Denmark very well could have scored two or three goals in that first who, half. Who did he start? Who did he start in that match? Out of curiosity, did he start? Uh, I, I guess Russia. Boyata? I guess Russia. It was Boyata, Alderweireld, and Vertonghen uh-huh. against Denmark. It was. Where was it? Denier. I hope it was Denier. I believe it was Denier, Vertonghen, and Alderweireld. So, so basically, Boyata is the backup dude. Yeah, and Denier for talking now of Arrow is probably their best defense, and it, it it gives me some nerves. But I mean, they just look so good going forward, especially if Kevin De Bruyne is on his game, Romelu Lukaku on his game. Belgium yeah. are going to be a dangerous team. I'm not sure if they're going to win it, but I think they're going to be there thereabouts. Well, I mean, according to the FIFA rankings, they are the world's number one team. But I don't trust the FIFA rankings. Yeah, we, we all know how much stock we can put into the FIFA world rankings. Yeah, that's but, true. I mean, you could skew the system and become world number one. That's how Wales got so highly rated for the last Euros. Really? They just yeah. didn't play a game for like 18 months. And they just climbed up the rankings simply by not playing. Smart. Pretty smart. <laughs> I'm gonna get to the semifinals of the last Euros because they got such a good draw. But all right, well, we short we shorted Belgium a little bit, but I mean, there's not much to say. They have world class players. They're fantastic. I think we need to talk about their low country neighbor, the Netherlands, who I oh. really doubted going into this tournament. Now I still kind of doubt, but they mean three two win over the U- over Ukraine. And you didn't even like where they were largely very good until they fell apart in like the last 10 minutes, as expected. But they recovered it. And then today, I believe it was a fairly routine 2 0 win over Austria, who aren't a bad team in the slightest. Yeah. Maybe the Netherlands are good. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, Maybe uh, this whole five at the back thing, it works. I mean, it's got the best out of Denzel Dumfries, who looks like. He looks like Prime Cafu back there. <laughs> Whoa, that's a, that's a that's a big comparison, man. Making some big comparisons, but I mean, you know, he's been he's, 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 he's been he's basically what Gregory yeah. Vanderbilt was in 2010. Okay, like yeah, he, right. he's, he's yeah, like he's that. the breakout for the Netherlands, who may or may not go on to have you know a good career after this. But I mean, the defenses look good. Matis Delicta looked really good. Stefan de Vries looked really good. Um, the midfield oh. has at least functioned. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Dion, still a fantastic player. Genie Juan Adam, fantastic player. And shout out to Voot Weghorst, who's like six mm. foot eight or something, but he's yep. so good. And I'm very <laughs> glad that he's, you know, getting, getting his chance for right. Yeah. Getting this chance because he's such a good player. Maybe he'll get a move away from Wolfsburg after this, or he'll just go play in the Champions League next season. But I, th- I think there were rightly a lot of doubts. With this Dutch team, with Frank de Boer, who very notably was named the worst manager in Premier League history by Jose Mourinho, but they're saying something. <laughs> maybe, maybe they can do it. 
I mean, obviously, I mean, they they would much rather have had Virgil Van Dyke at the back instead of Daly Blaine. That would have made this team significantly better. But, but you got to make do with what you have. And, and you know, they've been making a pretty good deal out of what they have. So let's see, let's see how far I mean, the Netherlands team can go. I don't think they'll win it. I mean, that's 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 my take. I think it's 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 still going to be between uh, Italy. England, France, and Portugal, like your top four teams, because after seeing them play um, the first round of matches, you know, seems like all these teams have luck on their side, or you know, can finish the match with a victory. But you know, anything can happen. If all you I know, the Netherlands. A, I think it's at least positive for the Netherlands moving forward, especially when mm-hmm. you're looking to Qatar next year, that they're able to bring on young players like Daniel Malen, like Arne Kravenberg like Owen Vindal, like Jurian Timber, who can step up and play major roles in the first team for the national yeah. team now. And yeah. then you give them one more year of development, one more year of potentially going to make a big move and making that next step in your career there. That could be a very aggressively young and hungry team that goes to Qatar in 2022. And that's very interesting to me. Maybe or maybe not, Frank de Boer is the right man for the job. But regardless of whether he is or not, this is undoubtedly going to be a very talented Dutch team moving forward. So I don't think they're going to have another scenario of not making major competitions, knock on wood. <laughs> let's, let's, hope, let's hope for the best, man. Um, it's never. All right, so which I are mean, the four favorites we're we talking about now? All right, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> No, I was just gonna say it's never like not nice, all right. It's 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 always nice to see the Netherlands compete in a major tournament, and their absence is. Uh, I mean, you, you miss out on a good deal of exciting players if they don't feature in a tournament, I suppose. Yeah, especially and, with given how important the Netherlands in general has been for just the historical development of football, oh, especially sure, modern sure. football, and for sure. how the Netherlands are basically the, they're, I think, officially the most the most successful team to not win the World Cup is Mexico because the amount of you know wins in the World Cup they got but the most successful team to not win the World Cup is the Netherlands given all the mm. talent that they've had given how good Ajax, PSV, and Monaco have been historically like the Netherlands are just so symbolic of modern football so having them good having them be content not only in major tournaments but contenders at major tournaments with these exciting young complete technical total football-esque players is, is, is really fun to watch yeah, and, and end of the day, like I, you know, like like you said, you know, let's just hope, you know, they can take positives out of this Euro and move forward to to have a strong showing in the twenty twenty two World Cup, World Cup at the very least. Um, and to your earlier point, yeah, let's talk about uh one of the four favorites. Let's, let's start off with Italy. I mean, they they did. I mean, we we already did talk about Italy. Uh, well, that's true. Well. Let's talk about. I don't. Uh, I don't want to gush more about Italians. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine, 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 fine. Um, let's talk about England. Is it coming home? I don't know. Um, Same. they've been alright <laughs> in their first fixture. You know, they they took Sterling scored a goal. They got a job done. One 0 to England. They might just ride home one zero victories until the final. Might be boring, but I, I think Eriksen would be very happy with that. Oh, he'll be thrilled. You know, end of the day, no one's going to take a look at how they are playing the game. They are winning the game. You know, M- most people won't. You know, people like us, yeah, that, that was uh, that, yeah, analysts. They that would. was largely what worked in Southgate's favor in 2018. The only issue yeah. came when they lost to Croatia. 
and then everything just started going downhill from there but i think i think people are still right to criticize how conservative uh, southgate has been in his team selection i think he lined up a very conservative team against a very not good croatia team who really did not play well and he could have gone more attacking I mean, I question why you put Raheem Sterling in, but Raheem Sterling scored, so... I mean, yeah. I question why you played Kieran Trippier as a right-back when he had multiple left-backs that he could have played when he left Ben Chilwell, a Champions League winner, out of the team but completely. He did, um, did a decent job as a left-back. I, yeah, I, mean, I mean, Kieran Trippier played well. I think yeah. he's always good to have in the team because of his ability from set pieces, his ability from That's corners true. to play a true. good ball. He's also a very good player. Let's not, you know, cut let's, Yeah, I mean, let's, let's give him the dude. He was very, very good, especially this season for like country. He should have Exactly. You know, like, it's not easy being an English baller in a foreign country. You know, you don't have many of those going around. So, you know, uh, all due respect to Kieran Trippier, good job. You know, like... And he wasn't even the worst England right back on the pitch. Because that was Kyle Walker. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, bro. You know, like if there I, was one, if there was one definitive thing that I could criticize Gareth Southgate for in his selection, because picking the two DMs worked because Calvin Phillips was phenomenal. Picking Raheem so Sterling good. worked because he scored. Picking Kieran yeah. Trippier worked because he was he played very well. It, the one the one bone that I can pick is not playing Kieran Trippier actually as a right back and playing Ben Chilwell or Luke Shaw as a left back. Yeah, Kyle Walker that was, was horrible. <laughs> I, I don't understand why he he didn't play someone like Chilwell or Luke Shaw. I mean, I have no I have no uh, issues with Trippier playing as right back, like you said. But you have Luke Shaw on the bench, arguably the best left back in the Premier League this season. <laughs> you know, I mean, just so like, just because everyone pressured you to take four right backs, it doesn't mean you have to play all of them. <laughs> no, exactly. Like it's uh, I don't know what going into Southgate's mind. Um, is Southgate sort of like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? I don't know, man. You know? He, he I, could I think be there's like... a little bit of him, you know, figuring it out as he goes along like Solskjaer. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, I mean, you can criticize the team selection, but it did work. Like, they won. It did work. I, did I, I would to... really, really question what um, Southgate's mindset is for this tournament if he picks a conservative team against Scotland tomorrow. Because I know Scotland are going to be up for it. Scotland want to beat England. Scotland are going to be play, playing very aggressively, but it's still Scotland. With all due respect, like it's Scotland. okay. To be honest, playing though, aggressive, pretty... play, be aggressive. Yeah, they have a decent team, all right. They you're going to say be... Scott McTominay. I'm going to stop you right here. No, gonna, no, no. You're going to finagle McGinn, a way to say Scott, Scott McTominay. John, John, John McGinn, uh, Andrew Robertson, Kieran Tierney might touch and go. I don't, I don't know about Kieran Tierney whether he's going Tierney's to be able injured. to play. Or yeah, uh, he was injured in the first game. But yeah, they say touch and go for so like. It's and of course, Scotland. you know the linchpin in that entire team, bro. Hey, hey, I'm not done with my whole hype, hype, hype movement, man. The linchpin in that entire team, the man who has the sauce. All right, the so, man who they play as a center back. Did center back? I think they did. Center back? I think they did. I thought you blame him as a midfielder. I, I know you're pushing up. Oh, bro. Okay, no, then, uh, well, if you blame him as a centre back against England, right? Yeah, all hope is lost for Scotland. Because the man is good in midfield. Okay, right? no, officially, he, officially, no, they did not play him as a centre back. It was. um... But he dropped back a lot. That's how I remember. He, he did drop back a lot. He was the most defensive yeah. midfielder of the three. Because the other two midfielders were Stuart Armstrong and John McGinn. They, they both are not defensive midfielders. I mean, okay, granted, you going. I mean, Stuart Armstrong and John McGinn. I mean, John McGinn isn't a bad player. Uh, I'll say that now. Uh, Stuart Armstrong is right, decent. You know, still Southampton, Prem, Prem level player. You know, um, 
I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't think anyone else in that squad uh, <laughs> is actually half decent. They're they're, they're right, you know. Uh, probably not quality caliber. To be fair, they did like play it. well against the Czech Republic, but again, yeah, the Czech Republic was... also aren't that good. <laughs> I mean, true, and you know the two goals against them were kind of cruel and harsh. You know, especially the second sad. one. Especially the second one. You what know, in the game, Marshall doing? I have no idea, man. Why is he still playing as Tottenham? Isn't he like old? Like really, I really think old? He's still, I think he's still their best goalkeeper. I mean, apart from Alan McGregor, who's older than him. Oh god, you mean you might be right about that? Like, I just realized I can't name any other Scottish goalkeeper. <laughs> oh wow, that says a lot about uh, the goalkeeping department, eh? What about Greg? Yeah, I mean, is, is he is he old as well? He's old, right? He's old as well. Oh shoot, it's that generation is. But yeah, back back to my so... point. England England need to play aggressive against Scotland, especially because Scotland's going to sit back and defend against them. So. I try to hit them on a counter. Find, find an, I'm finding an excuse for them to play Jack Grealish because it is baffling to me that he doesn't play for the same game. <laughs> you know what? I positively baffling to me. How, how is Jaden Sancho dropped? Yeah, Jaden Sancho wasn't even in the team. Yeah, it wasn't even sense. there. How? How? I mean, we if if we wanted to, we could trace this all the way back to me not understanding how he picked Ben White and his team over. Um, James Ward Prowse to, to take uh, Trent's, t- uh, Trent Alexander Arnold's place. But yeah. they just, I feel like against teams that they're just going to need something else in midfield. I think as good as Calvin Phillips was, I don't think they can go with two defensive midfielders in there as they go further into the tournament without, you know, being risked of just being played around in the midfield. Now, if you, Calvin, if Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice turn into Super Saiyans, and just be absolutely phenomenal for the whole tournament, they can get away with it. But I think especially against teams like Scotland who are going to try and sit back and hit them on the counter, they need to have that little, that bit of incision in midfield and they need to play someone like Jack Grealish. All right, so here's here's the, here's the an interesting question for you. If you were Gary Southgate, right, and you know you want to go in with like a 4-1-4-1 or rather just have one defensive midfielder as opposed to two here so that you have an extra man, you know, joining the attack or in in the middle of the park that's helping with the creative flow of the team per se. Who are you going to choose? Declan Rice or Calvin Phillips? Declan Rice. And then, with all due respect to Calvin Phillips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Calvin Phillips is a great player, but Declan, if I'm picking a six to be a sitting six, especially in a 4-1, 4-1, where you're going to need someone to uh, protect the back line, it's very obviously Declan Rice. He's a player way- much like... Mm-hmm. Much like Wilfred and Didi, I know I've told you this before, how Wilfred and Didi yeah. does basically the entire defensive duty for two people. Yeah. He's a player very much like that. And I mean, Mason Mount can get away with playing a box-to-box role. I mean, he wants to get forward, but he can get away with playing a box-to-box role. And then you have the most advanced of the three being someone like Grealish or Sancho or something like that. And I think that's a very, very scary midfield. So wait, no. Um... So you're telling me that in front of Declan Rice, you're going to have a two-man midfield of uh, central midfield, rather, of um, Mason Mount and Jack Grealish. Yes. Interesting. Well, I mean, I guess that could work. And they'll put four past Scotland if they do that. They'll they'll absolutely smoke them. Lee Griffiths is not there to score two worldy free kicks. Yeah. What a game that was. What a game, yeah, right? <clears throat> but, I mean, don't you think uh, 
I don't think that's going to happen, you know. I think he's going to play a 4-2-3-1. Now that I think about it. He probably will. I think he's going to... I mean... I think he has no reason to change this team. Given that he got the result that it won him. The only thing that he might change is the wingers. Whether he changes Foden and Sterling. But I think he's going to keep the midfield the same. He's going to start Harry Kane. He's going to start the same center backs. Regardless of whether he should or not. But well, I guess I mean, he might change the center backs if, if um, the term Maguire. Maguire. But... No, Maguire didn't play, but he said he's yeah, fit if he's, enough to start. If he's fit, if he's fit, then he'll play against Scotland. That's probably the only major change I would uh, see. I don't yo, think Southgate has you, a reason to change the team. You, you're forgetting, man. You think I don't think he's gonna. I don't think Maguire's gonna play. Gareth Southgate is the biggest uh, <laughs> scary cat, man. He's probably gonna be like, nah, nah, nah. I'm not gonna change something that ain't broke. Right. I mean, one against Croatia, the runners up against the World Cup. That's just all take I mean, a You're right in that regard, but also on the other hand, Gareth Southgate wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for Harry Maguire scoring off of set pieces in Russia in 2018. So that is very true. Probably has a little bit of loyalty to him. I, I hope he does. I hope he does. You know, he was a former centre back as well, so like, you know, he, I mean, Harry Maguire is a very influential figure in that in that team. You know, I I, I didn't realize how. I mean, I didn't realize how important he was for United, but I didn't realize the magnitude of importance you know, when he wasn't playing for the team. And defensively, we were much weaker. <laughs> much, much weaker. Uh, it would be interesting if, if he plays Luchor or uh, Benchable at left-back, though. Yeah, I hope he does. And I hope he doesn't take Trippier as left-back and instead deploys him as the right-back. Zero sense. Makes zero sense to, to, to drop Luke Shaw, to drop Ben Chilwell, and you start Kyle Walker instead of Trippier there. It really doesn't. No, it doesn't. But uh, right. I, think we can, I think we can agree in unison that it may or may not be coming home. There you go, England fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sing your, stu- sing your stupid song all summer and go lose in the semifinals again. <laughs> you know, he might lose in the final, which is actually worse. <laughs> the final would be in Wembley, so... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it'll probably be against Italy. Potentially could be against Italy. Alright, moving on to the reigning European champions, Portugal, who defeated Ooh. Hungary 3-0 in a completely packed house in Budapest. Which was interesting, to say the least. But, yeah. I'm very surprised Cristiano Ronaldo didn't Smack Diogo Jota upside the face during that first half. Because <laughs> Diogo, Diogo Jota had been taking way too many lessons from Mohamed Salah on, you know, how to do everything yourself. And he wasn't paying attention to any of those lessons. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's actually quite fine. No, but <laughs> I, I mean, uh, speaking of Ronaldo, man, like, he's what, 36 years old, going 37 next year? I think. I'm not too sure. Um, but man, you know he's still scoring, still an influential. Isn't he like now the all-time leading goal scorer with eleven goals? So like, all kudos to him. He's just getting better. He's and close. Better. To, he's close to the world record. I think he's like Which five is, away. Oh wow! Well, I think he did international world record. Damn. And I mean, that says a lot about Ronaldo as a player as well, right? Like, he's playing at top levels of football still at that age. It's because he drinks so all that, that water. Oh, he's no that's so hilarious. 
hilarious man like when he removed the coke bottles and then Pogba tried to do the same thing by removing the same did you see what John McGinn did this morning during the Scotland press conference no what did he do did he replace uh, the no, he, um, coke he bottles with podium. he went up to the podium and took off his mask and looked around and asked the media you got any coke everyone <laughs> <laughs> just burst out laughing coke isn't coca cola not cocaine this is James Hardy <laughs> allegedly I know <laughs> <laughs> Yo, yo. All right, okay. I don't know why I need to do Wadi Dirty like that, bro. But hey, <laughs> we, we all we all love Jamie Vardy here. We all love Jamie Vardy, man. Uh, except but, yeah, but back, yeah, back to Portugal. Um, I mean, they played well. I think they made hard yeah. work in the Hungary game, but they played yep. fairly well. Yeah. Uh, Rafael Guerrero continues to be a very underrated player, and I hope this tournament shows like just how good of an attacking left back he is. Obviously, this, I think it was the second goal. Was it the second goal or the third goal for Ronaldo that was the open play goal and the other was the penalty? I think the first one was the penalty. The, and the, the, open, the open play goal was, very, was a very good goal. It shows yeah, what he, this Portuguese team could be. Yeah. be interesting to see how they play against Germany this weekend, right? That's going to be a very interesting game. I'd be very interesting to see how, how they line up in midfield. Because I don't think playing a double pivot of... I think they started Carvalho and Pereira against uh, Hungary, and I don't think that worked. Because hmm. I, I at least feel like I remember they brought on Renato Sanchez and things started opening up from there. Uh, it was Yo, Sanchez, it? Or, Sanchez and Ritinho, or I think both of them came on, and things just started opening up from there versus yeah. when they were playing two defensive midfielders. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I was going to say, why are you playing two defensive midfielders against Hungary? No offense, Hungary. You know? Well, it's this Portuguese team is a team that can potentially be a very open, very attacking team, but they just didn't necessarily line up that way. And then as the game progressed, and as they brought on guys like Moutinho, like Ronaldo Sanchez, like Rafa Silva, Andre Silva, they started looking a lot better. And they obviously scored three goals, so they're probably fine. They're knocking a little bit of the rust off. They're probably fine. I expect them to be there near the end, if not there at the end. And they went through that whole game without using the likes of Ruben Nevz, Podigan Chalvez, Joao Felix. I mean, you can look at their bench and just see boatloads of talent that would get into any other team in this competition. And it starts to make more and more sense just why Portugal are among the favorites to win this. True. True. And and I guess, you know, in their last fixture, and this is a good segue to your uh, favorite national team, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they play against France. This is by, I mean, this is the group of that. You know, you have three um, I think, big teams. I think the caveat to that game, though, is, and I think France got very lucky when it comes to the scheduling, is that all France have to do is beat Hungary and they're through. They don't necessarily have to care about that Portugal game if they do the job against Hungary. So, if that Portugal game was the first game instead of the third game, I think that would have been a much more interesting proposition. But True. Especially if Portugal get a result against Germany, they'll be through as well. So, it could just be a game where they rotate a lot and try and not get a lot of injuries. But maybe they'll meet up again later in the tournament. Maybe. Maybe, and then it's when you, they'll play their full-strength squads. But, but I, I guess, guess sticking with uh, yeah. the reigning world champions, 
yep. that I support and have gone through lots of pain and suffering with over the last decade of my life. Um, it was it was an interesting game, wasn't it? It was a game where the stats didn't necessarily tell the full story. Yeah, that's right. Like it's, for it's all the people who worship at the church of expected goals, like Germany, Germany's expected goals were were significantly higher than France's. Um, I think they had more shots. I think France only had one shot on target, and that wasn't even the goal. Um, I think they. Com- I don't think they completed more passes, but they had more possession. But if you actually watch the game, France were very clearly the better team. And even with Germany having more of the ball and having more shots, there was only mm-hmm. really one dangerous chance that they had, whereas France had at least two or three genuine goal-scoring chances. I mean, I'm I'm just happy to see Karim Benzema back in the fold in <sighs> official competitive I, I, match. I was in pain when that goal got chopped off because Mbappe's kneecap was offside. I was in pain. <laughs> I I want him to score so bad. I hope he scores five times against Hungary just to make people stop talking about this and stop talking about him versus Giroud and just. Welcome back, welcome him back into the fold. But oh, are people still like saying uh, that Drew should be starting over him or something? Annoying Chelsea fans on Twitter, but just just Bruh, to make no. it not just to make it not a story. Mm. Like Benzema scores a goal again for France, everyone can stop caring. You know, the team is smiling, the team is happy. This isn't a locker room issue. We don't need to talk about this. Yeah. But hopefully that happens against Hungary. I'm hopeful yeah. that France can perform well there, but. I guess what the storyline for this game has to be uh, your soon-to-be-out-of-contract boy, Paul Pogba, who won Man of the Match, was very, very right. I mean, I <laughs> guess was, he was the... Uh, I think that might have been the best I've seen him play for France in a very long time. Well, I mean, you know Pogba, right? You know, it's, it's during this uh, contractual period, or like the end of his uh, contract, where he starts putting on an audition, you know, he puts, he puts on... <laughs> He's trying to audition for for various things. Yeah, that's right. You know, he's trying to show people what he's worth and why he's worth so much. Um, a lot of United fans are saying, "Why can't he play like that for United?" Well, I mean, a number of reasons for that. Uh, number one, United have no Kante. Uh, Fred is no Kante. <laughs> right? Yes, we have Bruno Fernandes. Fred uh, is no but... Kante. There is no one who is Kante. There's no Kante. You know, there is no Kante. But. You know, if Manchester United make some significant improvements in the squad, could Pogba stay? I don't really know. And to be honest, at this point, I don't really care. I think we need to move on without Pogba. That's, I mean, that's all it is. Like, end of the day, if he stays great, we have a world-class player in the team. If he moves, we need to think about what do we do next. It's not going to be easy replacing him, so we need to start working now. And essentially, I, I do feel, I, I really do feel that United would have a pretty uh, good transfer window if if we don't uh, put how, put all our eggs in uh, the Sancho basket. You know, we need to buy Sancho, yeah, sure. But I mean, you're obviously time, not. You signed Tom Heaton. Oh, yeah, hey, yo. Don't do the boy Tom Heaton like no, that. No, right? no, no, no. Well, I'm not getting you started on Tom Heaton. Get to your point. Tom Heaton is a world-class goalkeeper, right? Hey, have you not stop, seen his stop, save? Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to the people. <laughs> Mark my words, guys. All right, you thought Lee Brown was amazing. Wait till you see Tom Eaton. No, but 
I think to drag to drag you back onto your point, I think the one thing that Pogba has in the France midfield that he doesn't at Manchester United is freedom. That's and I true. say that simply that's because true. the structure of the France midfield is obviously there's N'Golo Kante as the base six, who I don't really think is a deep lying midfielder, but we France got away with it against Germany. Where yeah. he's obviously going to do a lot of the defensive work, and especially in the second half, they've asked a lot more defensively of Adrian Rabio, who did a lot of defensive work. Who I will hold my hands up, I am not the biggest fan of Adrian Rabio. I actively question why he was in this France team, and he but, was also phenomenal against Germany. Yeah, especially in the second half, he was absolutely outstanding. But no, and I think the I ability guess... to have two of those midfielders that is, that are doing that much hard defensive work allows Pogba to be free, allows him to be expressive, it allows him to be the one to receive the ball from the defense and from the defensive midfield which is just the counterattack. And that just allows him to show how good of a passer he is and how good of a close control dribbler he is. But you see, that's the thing, right? That will never happen at United so long as Bruno's playing. You know, United would never allow Pogba. I mean, they could if they buy someone like Declan Rice. You know, you could have two number eights or two number 10s essentially uh, sort of you, you know what I'm trying to get at and I mean that's that is sort of how I, I guess especially in the first half that's sort of how France played where both Pogba and Rabio had the freedom to get forward and to attack and Conte was the one who was sweeping up in the back now I remember texting you saying you know we need to take Rab- Rabio off because Germany has realized that they can get those pockets of space where Conte isn't and they yeah. can attack through that. We need to bring on Corton Tolisso, who's more of a defensive holding six. And right. luckily for France, Varane and Kempembe were both outstanding and did not put a foot wrong the whole match. And yeah. Lloris basically didn't have to do anything at all. But it's sort of that structure of midfield where if it was a player like a Declan Rice, like a Wolfram and Didi, or someone like that, who had the ability to cover all of that space, and then maybe Pogba can have this experience with Manchester United. I feel like it's it's almost like a, a routine exercise at this point where every single time Pogba goes away for France and plays well for France, we have this conversation of, oh, why doesn't he play this well for United? Oh, is it no, but it's a different thing? system. Yada, yada, yada. No, it's, it's a different it's a, system. It's a system. It's a structure. Yeah, it's a system. Pogba, to the best of his ability, plays in that double favorite role. You, you can't expect him to play the way he plays in France. At United, if not, there's going to be a lot of pockets of space at the back, and you can't expect someone like Fred or Matic or McTominay to do all the defensive work on their own. You know, they're not equipped for that kind of level. You know, they're not a Declan Rice, they're not a Wilfred Didi. You know, it, it, it makes no sense for them to sweep everything up on their own. You know, they're not that good. <laughs> it's that <laughs> yeah, honest they're truth. Not that good. They're not that good at that role. You know, are they world class players? I know you won't agree with it, but yeah, sure, they're world-class players, all right? But they're not world-class players at central defensive midfield. No, they're, they're not, not even world-class players. But Shh. No, no one else, but... <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, but, I mean, I mean, on to a serious note, though, United need to seriously reinforce that department. If not, it's... it's uh... The reason why we sometimes lack you know, that creative, uh, or rather we lack, you know, options in attack. There's a reason why we sometimes falter uh, in, in going on to the offense. It's because we play with that stupid double pivot all the time. You know, if we are playing it once or twice or every now and then, that's fine. Or we can switch it up. But we play that, we stick to that formation all the time because Uli does not have any other backup plans. He, he's very stubborn. I don't know why. I don't know why the man's so stubborn. 
not to go on, I mean, not to dwell into United even more, but uh, one player that you did mention was linked to United is uh, Varane. And Varane was, as you mentioned, standing against Germany. He, um, was, he was outstanding. Yeah. Probably the best he's played for France since the World Cup. I mean, even when they were put in a lot of situations where the midfield was called out of position, it was just the back line defending. And I was especially surprised about this with Kempembe, because Kempembe is very error-prone, even though he is coming off of maybe his best professional season at PSG. Mm. They were just both outstanding. They did not put a foot wrong the whole game. I mean, I'm going to report who. <laughs> right? <laughs> who? Who? Well, would he get into this team? Maybe, maybe not. But... They were both outstanding. Um, I guess there was at least a lot of question marks. We can get to this later in the podcast when we talk about transfers. There was a lot of question marks about whether he would stay at Real Madrid, whether Real Madrid could afford to keep him and Sergio Ramos, whether one yeah. of them had to leave or not. Now that decision's largely been made already, and we can get to that later, but there's still a chance for United to sign a player of Varane's quality, and that would be an absolute world-class signing, but we can get to it, to it later. Is that really what they need? Mm, and there's one, the there's one more player that I want to show love to the to in this France team before I start talking about Germany because I think there is some very pertinent topics to talk about with Germany. But for sure, any more points you want to make about Pogba? Oh no, no, I'm good, I'm good. You know, man played well, good for him. You know, let him try his stuff. Uh, and if he does go away, all the best for him, all the best to him, really. Yeah. The last player I want to talk about is Antoine Griezmann. Who's been the butt of a lot of jokes recently, ever since he went to Barcelona. And I will I will still insist that Antoine Griezmann is France's most important player. And you can tell during Euro qualifiers. When Antoine Griezmann wasn't in good form, when Antoine Griezmann wasn't playing well, France were not playing well. France were not a cohesive attacking team when he wasn't playing well. And that's simply because, unlike at Barcelona, Antoine Griezmann plays in the very center of the pitch for France. He is the guy. He dictates everything going forward. He's not thrown out onto the wing or thrown out onto the wing on his same foot where he doesn't have the ability to be inside in the middle of the pitch and dictating how the attack goes. For France, he has that. He will likely end his career as France's all-time leading goal scorer. And he is... He was the most important player for France in 2016, he was the most important player for France in 2018, and he is the most important player for France in 2021. And a lot of people thought he didn't play well against Germany. I don't think he was at his best, but I don't think he was as bad as people said he was. Like in the L'Equipe player ratings, he got five, I think, and I think that is way too harsh. Yes, he wasn't as influential going forward. Yes, Whoa, he didn't he have got a rating goal. of five? Yeah, five out of ten. Damn. He didn't have. He wasn't as influential going forward. He didn't have a hand in the goal. That was obviously uh, Pogba, Lucas Hernandez, who created that own goal. Uh, I think the best chances from France came through rather Pogba, Rabio, and Benzema and Mbappe rather than Griezmann. But Griezmann made sure things were moving, and he was all. He was everywhere. I mean, even defensively, he was doing the hard work defensively. For those who were eagle-eyed and didn't, you know, make snide jokes about, oh, I forgot Griezmann was playing, you could see that he was following Tony Kroos wherever he went. Yeah, And yeah. there's a reason why Tony Kroos did not play well in this game. It's because he had Antoine Griezmann sitting on him the whole game. And it's just baffling to me how people continue to clown on Antoine Griezmann. I guess, you know, he's got a bit of an unlikable personality. 
his bit of you know the showboy sort of thing but he's such a phenomenal player and if France end up winning this competition it's going to be through the brilliance of Antoine Griezmann well let's just hope um, hope that he scores a goal or provides an assist I suppose because apparently that's what uh, people uh, you know quantify as uh, good contribution unfortunately and because and because he's chasing national team records so oh that's true as well he's, I mean, he's very he's very close to the top now ooh I think he's think? I think he's only one or two goals I'm gonna look this up I think he's only one or two goals away from passing um, Michel Platini very interesting so I know Benzema doesn't have any shot at cracking at any records right now not a prayer the, not a prayer. Five-year absence. Yeah. Anthony Griezmann, Griezmann is currently the fourth all-time leading scorer in France's history. He has scored 37 goals. Michel Platini is 41. Olivier Giroud is 46. Thierry Henry is 51. You, Giroud, Giroud has uh, five more goals in him, you think? Probably against a team like San Marino, but... Yeah, they'll just play um, friendly and let Giroud get it. And then Griezmann's going to overtake him, and then eventually Mbappe's going to overtake him. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess I, I, like think, a, I think you mispronounced Anthony Martial, but it's cool, bro. It's right. Cool. <laughs> As like a wrapping up point for France. This game yeah. obviously short, shows why France are arguably the favorites to win this, because they're just so much better than everyone else. But true. it's almost a semblance of... France still playing within themselves like I don't think they got out of third gear in this game I don't think this mm-hmm. was anywhere close to how good this team could be and mm-hmm. I guess that's partially why people are so critical of Didier Deschamps because he basically insists on playing the game with the handbrake on so to speak that there's so much more that can be achieved through this team than what Deschamps is allowing them to play as now granted I don't think France kept possession as well as well as they should have this game. I think they needlessly gave away the ball a lot. And I don't think they were as sharp and as clinical as they needed to be. But it did feel like France comfortably, well, not comfortably, but fairly reasonably won this game without getting out of third gear. And that is, on one hand, very, very encouraging for people like myself who want to see France win the European Championships that you know this team has other gears to get to as they get into this tournament and as they you know as everyone gets into form and the front three especially Griezmann and Mbappe and Benzema get more chemistry and get more understanding with each other and mainly Griezmann and Mbappe get used to not playing with Olivier Giroud but it's it shows that this team can achieve more but it also leaves the lingering questions of will they achieve more while Deschamps as manager well, I mean, he's clearly not going to be... Uh... I mean, this is your final hurrah, right? Under Deschamps, rather. Nah, I think he's going to go to the World Cup. Oh, you think so? Especially because thought... it's only a year away. I think he's going to go to the World Cup. Oh, well, I mean, if that's the case, then... Even if they don't win it this year... they win anything this year, that's what it's next year, man. And, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's true, right? Well, I mean, either way, right? Either way. I'm, I'm trying to think here. How about... Sorry, I was actually going to ask you, what happened to Germany? Yeah, I was about to say, let's talk about the Germans. Yeah. I don't don't think they got this right. So, Mm. I remember their last warm-up game before the Euros, they moved to this back three, back five system where they played Kimmich as a right back, as the right wing back. 
And that seemed to be like the nice way to sort of wrap this up and form a team that was at least flowing enough to be dangerous and attack while covering up how weak their defense is. But the only issue is that, you know, they played that last game against Latvia. I think it was it was either Latvia or Lithuania, and now they're playing France. And there's <laughs> two completely different things. Yeah, I mean, you, you can you can I, put seven past Latvia, and you don't expect the same yeah, you, against, against France against the world champions. I think number one, Ilka Gudwan just does not work in the system. I think at his best with Manchester City was him having the ability to basically be a false nine and just storm forward and attack and make those late those late runs into the box that allowed him to score all those goals but if he's asked to be more of you know a two-way player and to go forward and defend he's not going to do it especially when you're playing next to Tony Cross who already yeah. is not that mobile the player and already is a player who wants to be that metronomic attacking player I don't yeah. think Gundogan is going to be the player that fills the role next to him I was baffled that he left Leon Goretzka completely out of the team. I think Goretzka is the player who needs to play in that position. It right. Should Germany continue with this back three? Or play Joshua Kimmich there and play an actual right back at right back? But I don't I don't think Ilkay Gundogan is the guy for Germany right now. Um, their defense is their defense. I talked about this before in the preview. Their defense just isn't mm-hmm. that good. Um, they got fairly lucky a few times. France could have had three or four goals. Uh, what was a either brilliant tackle or blatant penalty by Matt Hummels on that um, track back tackle against Kylian Mbappe was basically what saved their blushes. They got saved by Kylian Mbappe's kneecap being like two centimeters offside on Benzema's goal. I mean, their defense just isn't that good. But the main thing was going forward. I mean, they played with basically Serge Gnabry as a false nine. And I get why they did that, because they wanted to use his mobility to sort of pull the center backs out of position to create the the room for that diagonal pass that they're looking for all game with Thomas Muller and Kai Havertz making runs into mm-hmm. the box. But the issue is, I mean, number one, both French center backs were phenomenal. And if there were any chances for those passes, they got cut out pretty quickly. But mm-hmm. number two, it just it just didn't really flow. Like it, it looked a lot like Germany in 2018. That was very labored. That was very just rigid, and there wasn't a lot of organization or flow in their attack. And that might be because they they don't have a true striker, and that also might be because of how Jugulov wants to attack, or it might just be because France are really good. But this isn't you know this isn't the first time that Germany has played like this, and they're. They don't get a lot of width, and I think that's partially due to them playing Joshua Kimmich as a right back. They got width through Gosens on the left, but Kimmich, especially in the second half, started playing a lot more centrally because they needed to, to, to control the ball. And they just don't get a lot of width in their attack. When those diagonal runs aren't there, there's just not really much else that they look for. And I don't know. I mean, obviously Yogi Love is retiring after this tournament. Maybe he was on borrowed time going into this tournament, but Germany just don't look good. I guess it's and I don't know how the... to fix it. Maybe you just need an entire revamp again. Is it, isn't that what they did in the 2002 World Cup or something like that? You know, in 2006, the where they you know just basically rethought how they did you know youth development. I don't think it's necessarily that because I think this team obviously has talent. Like there are obviously really good players in this maybe, team. Maybe maybe you know the management just do not stale with ideas. 
do they go to a three-man midfield to get Kimmich Kroos and probably Gundogan in there? Are they just going to go hell for leather at that point and just say, okay, if the defense suffers, the defense suffers? Um, how are they going to line up against Portugal? I mean, Portugal is a team that also plays three-man in midfield, just like France do. They have a very dangerous attacking midfielder in Bruno Fernandes. Um, they might actually be smart and start Renato Sanchez in midfield, and that's a very dangerous proposition for Germany. Oh, um, that is true. Do they stick with Joshua Kimmich as a right back where he can just basically be played out of the game by um, Rafael Guerrero, who he knows very, very well from Borussia Dortmund? Yeah. Uh, how is their defense going to deal with Cristiano Ronaldo? It's just, how are they going to get past Ruben Dias? I, I just don't know. Maybe Germany can go through as the third place team, but I just don't see them being Portugal unless they figure out how to fix their attack. Well, or, and well, they're not—they're not, they're not going to fix their defense. But <laughs> is, is probably... the answer playing someone like Kevin Volland, who's more of a traditional striker at number at the striker position, even though he came on and didn't necessarily play as a striker? Um, does Timo Werner suddenly decide to score goals? I mean, I don't know. It's a tricky one, huh? I guess it, it really, really is, is. So tricky. Well, I mean, I just hope for a good match against Portugal versus Germany and not a one-sided fixture. You know. Yeah, I think I, it could potentially be. I think it could potentially be a close game. I hope it's a good game, not a close game, because that just means both mm-hmm. teams are lining up to not lose. Yeah. But I re- I really don't know what Germany are doing. I think Hansi Flick. I think Hansi Flick is coming at the ver- at the right time for Germany, especially given the fact that they just won the U twenty one Euros. I mean, Germany clearly has a bright present and a bright future. I just think they need new ideas. True, very true, very true. So, I guess uh, before we move on to our next topic, right, is there anything else you want to touch on the Euros? I will hop on my high horse for five more minutes to talk about Benjamin Papa and. Did you see what the incident between him and Robin Gosens? No, I didn't. What happened? So basically, it was in the build-up for a potential German goal. It was like one of their two only good chances of the game. Uh, there was a cross into the box towards Pavard, who came in as the right back to defend, and Robin Gosens jumped up to try to win the ball. And that led to mm-hmm. the side of his leg and basically his hip colliding with the back of the head of Pavard. Oh, no. Pavard was unconscious for like a few se- for a few seconds. I think it was like ten or fifteen seconds, and he was very clearly concussed. But the French doctors came out, looked at him, poured some water on the back of his head, and let him play on. And oh that's, that, no! That's just, yeah, that's just bad. That is bad. Whoa! I mean, especially I think... what happened after what happened to Ericsson, You know, you 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 think you know player well being and player safety is the uh, is the most important thing. Exactly, take, especially yeah, given yeah. everything that's come out in the last several years about traumatic head injuries, about yeah. how football can impact head injuries on players, not just by heading the ball, but through aerial collisions. I mean, what happened for Raul Jimenez for Wolves? Why was um, he substituted? Like, I don't I it. have no idea. I mean, I made Is it the because joke you guys don't have a right back? I, I was going to say that. I made the joke to my friend <laughs> that a concussed bunch of my partner is still a better right back than Leo Dubois, but... <gasps> He very well should have been substituted. I mean, you can maybe ask, you know, did France not want to use a tactical substitution, not want to waste one of their tactical substitutions on subbing off a concussed player when he's not, you know, quote-unquote injured, so to speak. 
but uh, I mean, number no. one, they had five substitutions and only used two of them. Yeah. And number two, I think that question that question then raises another question of why doesn't UEFA institute a free substitution for head injuries? That's something yeah, that they needed to do like, for a while now, and I hope after this tournament they seriously consider it because that's something that needs to happen. There's no way that Benjamin Pavard should have been allowed to play on. That's something that really irritated me that he was allowed to play on, even though I have very little confidence in Leo Dubois as France's backup right back. But this whole year has shown that the powers that be in football really don't give a dang about player well-being and the health of the players, and it's really, really time to change that. Yeah. All right, I'll hop off my high horse. <laughs> no, I in, I in, no, but you do, you, do, you do make a very good point. Uh, isn't like UEFA trying to... I mean, now that you mentioned it, right, I guess I did read somewhere that UEFA is trying to investigate into the whole issue uh, with regards to why Pavard was kept on the entire match. I, mean, <laughs> I hope so. I hope you know, they are. 